Welcome to On the Side with Jackie London, a BS-free podcast where we're talking all things food, nutrition, and wellness to help you build healthier habits that stick. As a registered dietitian, author, journalist, and former clinician turned content creator, I've heard and seen it all. Join me each week as I debunk diet myths, explore the latest wellness trends, and answer all of your pressing listener questions. Plus, we'll hear from a guest who will kick off each interview weekly with a soup-to-nuts rundown and, okay, sometimes analysis of what they're eating, cooking, ordering in, or where they're dining out with tons of delicious ideas, lots of laughs, and plenty of pro tips in between. The one thing I can actually guarantee, I'll serve up tangible, actionable strategies to help you apply the science behind what works to what works best for you. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of On the Side. And I've got to say, today's episode I've been waiting to do for so long. I've been waiting to chat with today's guest, Willow Jarosh. She is a registered dietitian and a certified intuitive eating counselor. And we are talking about a really specific topic that I think has very broad application. So a lot of controversy right now about kids going back to schools, just starting school, and a lot of a lot of discussion about like the role of school in in certain areas that have otherwise been considered parental decisions. So we are really focusing our conversation today on the topic of school food and what the New York City Board of Education has essentially put forward as what's allowed in a lunchbox versus what's not allowed. And it's honestly, it's mind boggling. It is, it feels a little bit like someone with zero nutrition education or knowledge made up the rules, number one. And you'll hear Willow makes a really interesting point that to some extent that doesn't even matter. doesn't even matter that the nutrition education component is somewhat missing from these <laughs> rules. They're pretty arbitrary. They're pretty enraging and kind of inflammatory. So we get into a full-blown discussion about all of it. Willow is one of the best people I know. She is a friend. She is a mentor. She is wise, well beyond her years, but also comes at this entire topic from a really unique perspective and has actually done work to present to her son's previous school about the various topics and the various considerations and what some of the downsides are of actually putting rules on kids in early education. So I think you're going to love this conversation. We really got on to a number of different hot topics, including what's not taught in schools, what is not on the list of restrictions, and is there or is there not a safety concern for kids of that age? Um, Her son is four and a half. And then we get into some of the messages and some of the ways in which diet culture has basically inserted itself into so many different areas of our lives and and far beyond what I could have even imagined and what I certainly can imagine even now as someone who's not a parent. This is just like an unbelievable new world for me. So I think you're going to really enjoy today's conversation. Really, really interesting discussion. Let me know. Let Willow know what you think. You can reach out to me at Jacqueline London RD on Instagram, on Twitter, and Willow is at Willow Jarosh on both of those platforms as well. But this will be all linked in your episode notes today. So you can find everything you need. In the meantime, enjoy the episode. I can't wait to hear what you think. 
But first, let's get to a quick listener question. All right, guys, this week's listener question is, what is inulin? I see it all over packaged foods. All right, so I'm going to give the answer that is relevant to packaged foods, and then I'll give you guys some further context. First of all, inulin in the form of a processed or packaged food, right, is usually being used to increase the amount of fiber in that food. Because it also has some structure claims or structure benefits associated with it, it can also add a a degree of keeping that food product together, right? Like, so it's sort of like a, both a binder and something that keeps the structure intact. And it's also adding fiber to the overall content, the nutritional composition of that packaged food. When you see inulin on food labels, it's coming typically in a synthetic form. I just did a quick Google search of of just typing in inulin to my Google browser, and I got a number of different ads from different companies that are selling different types of inulin, like Bulletproof sells an inulin. Lots of trendy influencers (laughs) are shilling for inulin. And I would say that this is where I see pros and cons of inulin being something that we're really using widely in our food supply to create better for you, quote unquote, food products. The benefit is that, yes, it is increasing the total amount of fiber in food. The downside is what also comes along with it typically in those foods, right? Because a lot of the time we see these health halos get attached to a specific ingredient, a specific type of food, a specific whatever. And we think that that makes the food on the whole a more nutritious choice. And what I want to just keep bringing this conversation back to is that ultimately Inulin is found in nature, and it's found in nature in foods that have fiber naturally, right? So I I feel like we talk about artichokes as like the number one thing with inulin. I mean, fruits and veggies, a wide variety of veggies and fruit, whole grains, nuts and seeds, and pulses are going to give you all the fiber that you need when you're eating them in real whole food form. So that's kind of where I want to leave it today because the, the point being synthetic versions of inulin can accumulate over the course of a day and and inevitably sometimes have a more subtle effect on your gastrointestinal feelings of bloat or gas or feeling like like you're not really sure why you're stuffed from like an energy bar. You know what I mean? Like it can just kind of feel a little bit confusing. So if you're having GI symptoms like bloating or gas and you're curious about where that might be coming from, I would just do a quick check of what you have on hand, what you're eating over the course of a day and just look for inulin in the ingredients list. Chicory root fiber is another one that's sort of like, you know, the bee in my bonnet of of like stealthy ingredients that come in many different types of processed packaged foods that in their synthetic form can accumulate over the course of the day and contribute to GI distress. In its natural, real whole food form, love it, keep going, keep it up, get those fiber foods. You know what I mean? Um, But again, it's always a question of balance of how much you're having of any specific food or nutrient or whatever. I'm not trying to demonize this because there are some pretty great uses for inulin. It's just a question of how you're personally tolerating it. All right, let's get to our episode. Listeners, just jumping back in here to give you a quick heads up about something so cool and exciting that I just found out about uh, this week as I'm recording this, which is that Spotify just dropped 300,000 audiobooks, and one of those books is yours truly, is the one that I wrote and narrated, in fact. It's called Dressing on the Side and Other Diet Myths Debunked. 
11 science-based ways to eat more, stress less, and feel great about your body. If you are enjoying this podcast, you are truly going to love this audiobook. So check it out on Spotify and leave a rating and a review. I would so appreciate it. I can't wait to hear what you think. Okay. You have a lot of things. You've got a lot of things to tell us about, but first, first tell us something critical, which is tell us about the story when you saved the life of a baby turtle. That's most important. We have to get that out of the way first. I mean, you are a hero among us and people don't know that and they need to. It doesn't get recognized often enough in my day-to-day life. Why isn't it? It's no one's talking about this enough. We need to talk about it more. For potentially relocating a turtle that did not need to be relocated. It did. It did. It clearly wanted to. It was trying to get through the fence. This is why you need me here to help you tell this story. It was. I I had additional context. It was. And it was a long way to the water for it. It was a long way to the water. It was a long way to the water. Willow is a rescuer of reptiles and not, not just any reptile, but this is a turtle, a Central Park turtle who got lost on his way back to the pond. And Central he, Park Central pond, Park pond. That's my specialty. He was, that is what you, it's, it's a very, it's a niche market, but it's. <laughs> it's I did help a woman put a pigeon that was injured into a bag also. So. Okay. I definitely knew that, but every time she so says it, it's pigeons. jarring. Yeah. <laughs> also because I, I would sooner just say all of them could leave this city and I would be only happier. Only happier. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. I love pigeons so much. I know they, you do love them, but this is Willow and I are very, very similar on most things, but this is where we diverge hard diversion. She loves a nice squirrel, a pigeon. Oh, rats. She loves a rat. Love. That honestly is a mind blowing concept to me. <laughs> mouse, just, a mouse no. in central park makes my day. Oh no. I saw one. I had a face off with one that was like frolicking through the leaves in broad daylight. A mouse? A rat. A a proper rat. I can't even say the word rat without a physical reaction. They're so cute. They're so smart. This is who she is, folks. This is Willow. She's a bigger heart and a lot more compassion than I do, and I'm okay with it. (laughs) Rats are amazing. Rats are incredible because they're brilliant. They are. They have like a whole communication system with each other. What? How, how does how does that begin? Like if the <laughs> if the rats in the city have like their own neighborhoods, and if one finds out that there's like traps or poison somewhere, they'll actually like communicate that around. This is too much for me. I so they I, like adapt. I'm upset because now what what you're saying feels novel to me, and I'm wondering if the city would like to hire you on a contract basis to help to be the arbiter of the mass effort to get involved love, in this. The you rat, would love queen, that. You the would, rat <laughs> queen of New York City, sign me up. Register I dietitian and RQ, that. RQ NYC. These are the oh, new an, credentials. Another random animal fact that like has nothing yes. to do with this, but did you know dolphins have names? What? Like, like dolphins what? have names. They have individual names and they call each other by their names. They really just are. Dolphins are brilliant. Wait, where? What? Yeah. How? What kind of name? Like Willow? Like there's a dolphin in Willow out there. <laughs> it'll, I don't, I mean, they're just like, they're squeaks, you know? So like, it'll be like a dolphin, like multiple a squeak speech. Pitch. That, yeah. That's, that's their so name. cool. 
I know. Wait, you know what else? I, okay, we won't go so far off track. But you know what else is really cool about dolphins? This is, by the way, just like being with Willow and I. <laughs> this is mostly how our conversations go. Conversations go. <laughs> this is the coolest thing. You probably know this. You definitely know this. But I once read this thing about dolphins that was like, that they're the only, this type of mammal sleeps and swims at the same time. Like they go into this oh, like kind of like night yes. cycle. So they're still swimming, but they're asleep. That's but so like cool. half of their brain sleeps <laughs> right? at a time, right? Yes. So they can continue to do stuff. That's an it's insane incredible. thing. That's such a cool thing. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Now we're going to switch. We're going to stop talking. We're going <laughs> to, we always need to start. Listen, I don't mind starting with a little animal news. It's like oh, a little animal update. Amazing. Let's talk about who's not amazing. Well, I'm not going to say this. I, I'm not going to say it like that because we don't know. We're going to try to give them benefit of the doubt. I'm going to just pinch my shoulder on that. Just give, we're going to try to give these people benefit of the doubt. What's happening in Augie's school? We don't even have to name names if you don't want to, but you can, because I'm happy to name and shame and blame, or we can just get rid of that. But tell us, tell us what's going on at school. Let's start there. Okay. And actually like the naming blaming is I think a really important topic because I've been thinking about it so much more too. Mm. So my son is four and a half. He's been in like a threes program. Now he's on a fours program. And in each of his programs, he's had food rules that were sent home that are beyond like allergens and choking hazards, but they're like very specific food rules that limit things like specific foods, potato chips, cookies, stuff like that, but allow other foods. And so I've been thinking about this a lot lately in terms of like who is making these food rules. Cause like his dentist has also said these things. And it's just like, I think people are coming from a place of wanting to like help kids to be healthier, Mm -hmm. except that because like so many adults are fully immersed as like equating restrictive diets with health that like it's not safe for adults who haven't like really gone through like a lot of training Training. to be making food rules for kids because they're heavily steeped in restrictive diets. 1000%. But this is something that really kills me about this in particular and what you, what the foods that you mentioned, like the, the chips and cookies being the perfect example. I don't even know that it is restrictive diets as much as it is complete messing with, like almost to the point of, it's almost like brainwashing. Like I hate to use that term. It sounds extreme, but what, what I think of when I hear that is, but you don't know what a cookie actually just is ingredient wise. Like in other words, our lack of connection to really understanding food and like what's food, what's marketing of food is just such a mess. And there's so many, there's like areas of food that are so heavily regulated. And then there's other areas that are totally unregulated. And you're like, you bought into the claims, you bought into what the food manufacturers wanted you to think, not what's actually real. So, so there's like both the restrictive nature, the restrictive diet components of some of the things that come up in this conversation. And we'll get into all of that, but having, but knowing that, right. And then there's just the, did you ever bake a cookie? Cause like, <laughs> maybe you just need to have had the experience of baking a cookie to know what a cookie is. That makes me crazy. Like, uh, anyway, yeah, carry on. I think that that's like, there's two aspects to it that I've kind of like gone through with this is like one, I looked at the list of 
foods. And I mean, I don't think any of them should be restricted for many reasons, but like I looked at the list of foods and was sort of like, well, veggie straws are allowed, but potato chips aren't, they're basically the same ingredients, just in a different form. You know what I mean? Like, so, and like, and I hesitate to even get into the nutrition of it because I don't think it matters. I think that like, that's such a good point. Yeah. You know, like, so this is like kind of the conundrum that I've been in the whole time. And like, when I've spoken to his teachers about this, like I really hesitated to even get into that nitty gritty because I don't want them to start thinking that way. Oh, well maybe we should take such a good point. Such a good point. Yeah. But like on the other hand, like sometimes I use that as an example with them to illustrate that like, there's a complexity to this. And like, I think that to like expect to be able to know what is healthy for a large group of children without sitting down with each one and talking to them about anxiety, neurodiversity, access to food, family dynamic, like all of these things that affect what might be best for a child during the day. Right can't make those blanket statements then. And they do. And it's really like, it's really restrictive. Oh my God. That is such a good point. Because this is my area of obsession, which is how food companies get away with BS. It's like, I bring my bias into that, which is like, I just, I would be like, hello, look at the two nutrition facts label. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you're it. totally right that for the sake of the kids, that's actually not what matters, right? Like not here. It may matter if they're interested in that later on, but it doesn't, it's not, that's not the point. The point is that you made rules around food and that's arbitrary. And what does that do to a child's relationship with food overall? Yeah. Yeah. And like different kids are at different places, even developmentally, like they're just at different places and different points of need when it comes to food. And I think that like, to me, anytime you're thinking about restricting something, yeah. To question like yeah who what's the reason and who would this what would the benefit be you know like because I think when you ask yourself that like oftentimes the answer becomes a little bit more diety like or restrict like restrictive dieting yeah because the answer you know like if the answer to not having cookies in a kid's lunch is you know like sugar is terrible for you like that we can dive into that a little bit more, but that's why I've just been like really thinking about the fact that like Augie's dentist made very, very broad, very restrictive recommendations about like foods that are and aren't good for teeth. And like, I had to call ahead of time because I saw it on their website and it was kind of on my radar that dentists could do this. So I like spoke to them ahead of time and asked, please don't mention any of this during our session. Like you can talk to me about it. Like you can definitely talk to me about it and all pass along like anything that needs to be done in our home. But like small kids are not ready to talk about dental micronutrients. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, like, come on. I, I first of all, I didn't even know the word carries as, <laughs> as a word until right. graduate school. Right. I'm sorry. What? Like stop telling kids what first of all, you have no business telling kids what to eat because also they are minors and you're in the room. So the fact that that's even assumed that this is like your job to like have a role in this is like, you want to inform parents. That's fine. Have a one sheet. 
Maybe it's a yeah. brochure on the way out. Fine. You can say, like, listen, with a brochure, I would, I don't love that necessarily either, but I like it as an intermediary step of saying, if that's what you really think you want to do in your practice, I'm not here to stop that. But at least then you have a barrier between the child and the parent of saying, I give this to you, the parent, and it's your choice if you want to give this to your kid. Yeah. I think the idea of like informed consent around talking about yes. food and nutrition, like isn't offered enough. And when it comes to like creating a safe space for even a parent who might have a past history of disordered eating or eating right. disorders, like, but I think that it doesn't get taken seriously enough when we toss around like food and nutrition yeah. recommendations yeah. in front of kids, to kids, to parents that like this idea of informed consent around that being okay to talk about around them. Just, yeah. I've never had a doctor or a dentist or a teacher ask me if that was okay to speak around Augie about. That's really, really obnoxious. I just, and I also feel like the huge distinction that comes up for me is that doing what we do, it's, it's sort of like you are to some extent, I always feel like my heckles are up. Like, it's almost like my ears are sort of like fine tuned to hear this stuff. Right. But that's just, that's just me as a professional person without children. If I had a child who like my job is to protect this person, but also make sure that like this person is building a healthy relationship with food, not just food with anything because of intuition and like their own self-efficacy, then you really start noticing where all of these messages come in and like infiltrate. And it's very confusing because even as adults, like I can't tell you, we hear adults make comments like this all the time where they don't, it may be rooted in restriction. It may be something that like they heard on a TV show. It may be something they saw on social media. It could be from, so, like, we don't know where it's coming from exactly because it may or may not be based in any sort of reality, but it still comes up and comes out of people's mouths without any like understanding of how that may or may not affect someone's like we're currently in the phase of building your relationship with food. We're not at the phase where you already have one necessarily, right? Yeah. And I think that people often think like, it's just, it's just food. It's just nutrition. No. And you're totally right. Like yeah. when you're working with people who are unpacking that relationship and trying to make it not so tumultuous and not so stressful. And you see like people sending these same messages to kids, like you're right. You just like, you want to do what you can to like try and minimize the amount of like outside comments right. around food that's coming in. The other part of this that I want to get into is I feel like we're hearing this more and more just in the news in general about the topic of schools saying this is what's best for your child versus empowering parents or having conversations with parents or just saying, what does your home look like in the first place to your point about food access, which is an, another huge component of this that is another reason why this is so enraging. But like, I just, so you see this list of this is allowed in school, this is not allowed in school. Give us a few more examples and then tell us what you did next. <laughs> well, for his first school, it was kind of a similar list. And so at that time, I just contacted them you know, and said, like, here are the reasons that, like, this doesn't make sense nutritionally. Like, mm -hmm. I did offer some of those examples, but also doesn't make sense in terms of, like, 
broadening the, the variety that kids might find acceptable. You know, like if somebody packs something that a child loves, like my son loves Oreos. Like if I pack an Oreo in a lunch with something else, he's more likely to sort of even examine the other foods in it if there's something that he already likes in it, you know, and you're really cutting out that opportunity when you have these restrictive lists for kids that get like nervous at school and have a nervous stomach. There might be just one or two foods that feel safe to them at that time. And so if they're not getting those, then they're not eating all day. And so I would argue that it would be better for them to eat something and have yeah. some energy for the day than to not have anything. So I think that like, to your point, if parents are sort of like aware of their child's needs, which I think yeah. that they are like, then they can navigate that, you know, having resources for them right. on an individual level, or maybe like webinars or something like that, that they can opt into is one thing, but these sort of like pretty strict blanket guidelines, I think, have the opportunity to do more harm. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. There's something that you just said that makes complete sense that I just don't think, I just feel like needs its own moment for a sec before we get more into this, which is that when food comes in a package, as in a package that is a lunchbox, let's say, like a home, like you've got a number of things in that lunchbox. Personally, my favorite way to eat any kind of meal is where you get a little tapas situation going, but I digress. But like you have something that a child loves and there's other stuff that's in there. They're more likely to eat the other stuff. There's NHANES data from, I want to say this was like 2010 NHANES that showed this example with peanut butter and veggies. You combine the two, the kid loves peanut butter. Your parents have this idea of wanting their children to eat more veggies. You put them together and guess what happens? Like it feels like, but that's also, and the crazy thing is, is that that's also true of adults. We just don't have any experience actually trying things out and experimenting that much, right? Like we forget that like there's lots of different ways to eat and to experience cuisine and culture from around the world through food rather than making a restrictive list. I'd so much rather someone say, we're doing like a bring your own potluck, like from each one of the people. And maybe that's not possible either because of food access related thing, but like that would be more inclusive and a way of teaching kids about what food really means for different people and in different parts of the world, right? Versus saying, this is what you can't have. I just feel like nothing about that is good. Nothing about that has a positive has has a positive outcome that I could, that is even remotely foreseeable. Agreed. I mean, and I would say like with this age range especially like you don't want to rule any foods out. What you want to do is just build what they have exposure to and what they have a chance to try and like and explore, try and not like right away and still explore and I think that like taste tests, like things that you can do in classes, like, you know, fun opportunities that kids don't, you don't have to try it. Like you just have to be a part of what everybody's doing, like taste tests where you compare like textures, colors of foods, like flavors of foods, foods from all over the world, foods from different festivals. Like you can do all sorts of different food exploration that also feeds into like the different topics that are Mm. being like examined in the classroom too, in a way that feels expansive as opposed to like in a way that feels like very restrictive. And unnecessarily restrictive. Like there's no, 
This really, this is a personal little hill I want to die on is the veggie straw versus the potato chip. I just, it's enraging. This is a costume. This veggie chip is wearing a costume. This potato chip is just a, it's a vegetable. It was made into a chip. Your veggie chips are wearing costumes and it's called potato starch and marketing words. <laughs> I just but like can't you can take go, it. Because like at his old school, I was like, well, can I put beet chips? Mm-hmm. You know, and it was like, That's yeah. So it's like they're they're made the same way as right. Like, but they're, see, this is where tubers. I think that like diet <laughs> that I looked at this list and was like, okay, this is like made by somebody who's probably heard that potatoes are like yeah too starchy. Yeah, you know what I mean. 100%. Like and and so it's just I also think about the parents who might be maybe like a little bit restrictive themselves, maybe mm. like working through that or not, and look at this list and think like oh, okay, the school is recommending that this is quote-unquote healthy. And it, like, it doesn't challenge those diet culture, like, rules at all. It it actually, like, strengthens them for people. So I think that, like, there's a learning opportunity that's really missed there, too, for parents, for caregivers. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, 1,000%. I am confused about who makes this list. So you, okay. So let's go back to your, let's go back to your story. So you reach out and you're like, this is why I don't think this should be happening. Like this is, this can cause a lot more harm than good that I can't see an upside. (laughs) Best Willow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Imagining you typing this email. Yeah. What was the response that you got from, from the administration? So with his first school, I started that in like January and he left that school in July and there was just like a stream of back and forth during that period of, you know, like who initially made those rules was one person, not like a child nutrition specialist of any sort. So somebody made those rules. Then like once they become like rules in the handbook, then that's like a whole other thing to change, especially if there's like multiple locations of the school, those types of things. So, so I don't know where, I mean, I kept offering, you know, to, I offered to come in and change them. I offered to, you know, like my services in many ways, but I don't know. I mean, there's a complexity around guidelines as well. I also Mm. keep thinking about the idea that the idea of diet culture being so, intertwined with wellness, this idea of like wellness and health makes this really tricky because chances are that when you're talking to a group of adults or talking to a stream of adults that you have to talk to in order to ask for any of these changes, like chances are that many of them also have internalized Mm. many of these things being equal to health and wellness, this idea of like health and wellness. So unlike some other topics. I think that like this one is a little bit unique in the sense that people are doing these and making these guidelines out of a feeling of wanting to like help and protect kids. Yeah. But they're doing it with information that has the potential to like really hurt them, you know? And I think that like when you're talking about like disordered eating and eating disorders, Mm -hmm like that's really serious. And I don't think that that's coming into this conversation enough. So it's coming from a really good place. It's coming with information that is like potentially pretty detrimental. Right. 
but the, nobody's questioning it because this idea of like yeah. restriction dieting is equated with health and wellness. 100%. That could not be more of this. I don't want to call it like a green, it's not greenwashing, but it's sort of like a, like a health halo, like a wellness wash. This is so deeply entrenched that you don't realize that you're not actually teaching something helpful. Like there's nothing, there's nothing helpful about that. And then I have another question, but tell me but what you think about that. This, that was my, like, that is my conundrum about like what to present to a school or a teacher who has given these guidelines out, like how detailed to get into that, because I don't want to villainize sugar. I don't want to make people start to like parse out food labels, mm. you know, when choosing this stuff, but also like, to your point, like, if sugar is the reason that they're not allowing cookies, then the, it doesn't make any sense with like the other things, like you said, that have this like health washing on them. And nutritionally, it doesn't make any sense. Right. But I think like overall, that just goes back to this idea that like, unless you are well-versed in nutrition, pediatric nutrition, and right. also eating disorders, disordered eating, body image, yeah, social determinants of health. Yes. What goes into actually like health for kids and right. moving forward into, you know, adolescence, like unless you have somebody on your team that has all of those resources and can also remind people that like, you can't make blanket guidelines for kids unless you know what you're saying at all, what you're saying. And also like each one, unless you talk right, to exactly. each one, like, exactly. and find so out true. their social determinants of health and like right. where they're, you know, like, unless you have like all of those resources. And I just think that like nutrition is one of those things where everyone is an expert. Yes. And so you can do real damage. And I don't think we talk about the real damage that can be done when you make these like mass guidelines based on restriction. <laughs> 100%. I mean, this really gets my blood boiling. I've got to say, I feel my blood pressure going up. I'm just thinking about it. just because, just because it's so, it's so frustrating on so many different levels. I think another unspoken piece of it too, is I frankly find it frustrating that after how many years of school and training and, <laughs> and clinical experience that our profession has not like at large we don't have help in getting this out there. In other words, you have, you know, teachers sure do have their teachers union. If you're in a public school, this is a charter school, right? This is public. Augie's, well, okay. at first it was private. Now right, it's public. right, right, same, right, right. Same list. Same rules. list, right. Yeah. I mean, everything about it is like, at least it seems like, like for, for our profession, it seems like the only champions of our profession that I have found are people who have w already worked with dietitians and had a positive experience. So in other words, we're, it's peer to peer. Like it's just purely peer to peer. There is no, <laughs> there is no help in elevating this conversation about, and to your point about the social determinants of health, which is another huge component of all of this. If that makes someone else feel like, oh, I'm worried a dietitian would come in and make new rules. Well, no, that's not actually it either. Like 
this is part of the training is social determinants of health. <laughs> so like if, if that's not also part of the message, it feels like, like almost like a trap. It feels like we just continue to propagate this when we have it in schools. It's one thing to have it for adults, even though I, I'm not happy about it, but at least there is some degree of, okay, you can learn more, you can evolve, you can maybe understand what happened in the past and how it can inform the future, all of that. But with kids, it's like, this is a blank slate. It's just not fair. Yeah. And it, it can, it has the potential to affect right. so much. And I think like you said, you know, like each person's individual story with food up until the point where they're at in life, oftentimes like dictates how they feel about food and nutrition. And if they have kids, then a lot of times like that will be how they approach food and nutrition with their kids. So when you have parents making those decisions, then I say like everybody should make their own decisions in terms of like what feels right, what works for them to send to school for meals and snacks. But I think this is interesting because then you also have like, in some cases, one person at a school who also has their own history with food and nutrition, most likely some dieting in there at various stages of their relationship with food. And they're the ones making these blanket rules. So like you're really gambling when you send your kid to a school, is that person who is the like individual making these rules, are they at a place in their relationship with food where they feel like Mm. restriction is the only way? Or are they at a place where they understand that the less you restrict for kids, the more you can build a safe relationship with food? And like that's not really like a great gamble to take, you know, like, I think that in that sense, it would be much easier to just say like allergy guidelines and choking hazards. Like sure. Yeah. And then just otherwise, like everybody packs what feels right for them and their families from home. No, you're totally right. I mean, there's this other component of it that you just reminded me of because the allergens is something I wanted to talk about too. Like, do they have an extensive, that's an extensive list also, I'm guessing. It depends on the, so this is like also, I think like another issue with schools not having dietitians who are well-versed in Mm. like pediatric and adolescent nutrition is that I think they err on the side of, you know, like sometimes depending on who's doing this, err on the side of like restricting more allergens, but it really varies from school to school from my limited experience so far with like a few schools is that like wild variation. And again, Mm. it's like usually one person who is making this decision. And like, that's a tough decision because, you know, like there's research papers, there's also like opinion pieces, you know, there's a lot of different things floating around on allergens. And so I think that like, it's a big job. Like I, it's a big job for somebody to do on top of another job that they're doing. You know what? I'm just going to talk this one out because there's another component of this that just got my wheels turning, which is that when I was in my internship, I did a, or might've been even the, the DPD classes. It was, I had this class in food management theory. And it was like one of, you know, like one of those like standard classes, like the food management theory and practice or distribution or whatever it was. And like, you had to do this sort of like offsite component that was at a school. So I was at Friends Seminary, which is private school in New York, in lower Manhattan. 
And what was, I just remember being, you know, in the kitchen with the food service team and they had these lists of like kids with dietary restrictions and what specifically the restrictions are. And I asked the chef about it at the time. And he was like, this has quadrupled in the last few years. Like this is not, I've never seen it. This, it just gets bigger and bigger and longer and longer. And kids have more and more of them every single year. And my immediate thought and still is now is that that's honestly just, it's just so upsetting. It's just such an upsetting thing to hear because you know that those things are likely not the child's allergy or intolerance more likely if it is anything at all. It's much more likely that the parent is, that this is a projection. And I'm not saying that to be judgmental of those parents. I'm saying that because this is where we see the intertwining of diet culture with how it continues, like how the next generation takes it with them. Like, like this is where it starts. Like lists like that, that continue to grow longer year after year after year is where I feel like that's, we have to, we got to put a stop to this in some way before this gets so wildly out of control, because we're just making people feel unnecessarily obsessed later on. Any number of problems can come from like this relationship that's cultivated and then continued on by giving a list to the school of what they can and cannot have. The other thing that came up for me when you said that is that my initial reaction, tell me, I just didn't really think of this from the point of view of like the other side, right? Like if I'm at the school, my initial reaction is to follow those rules that the parents gave to the school, right? Like, like, so in other words, I would never think I'm a dietitian, and I actually think you're probably not intolerant to lactose <laughs> or whatever it is. So therefore I'm serving you the lactose, right? My initial reaction is the parents know the child best. I would never presume to know more than them in that kind of setting. That's not the appropriate setting to exert my clinical expertise. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, I would totally. never think to do that. So, so the fact that it's happening in reverse is where it makes me want to lose my right. mind. And I think like the fear around food, to your point, you know, like increasing fear around certain foods, if it's not an like an allergy or an intolerance is right. like, just adding so much stress to the eating experience. And on the other hand, also like it, I think is detrimental to kids who have allergies and intolerances because then sometimes people don't yes. take them as seriously because they think like, oh, well, everybody's been, you know, like restricting yeah. this. And it's like, no, that's really serious. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that you're right. Like I think families kind of know where that is. And if there's going to be some education around that, then that could be something that people like opt into as a learning experience. But yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Like you'd never say like, no, you have this list, like you're wrong. You shouldn't do this without understanding like where they're coming from, what the reason for it was. Right. It just feels so disappointing to hear it coming in the other direction. Like if that's my gut reaction, that as a nutrition expert, I'm not the expert on your child. (laughs) You are. And they ultimately should grow to become the expert on themselves, right? Like that that's the idea. Then then you're coming back at me, judging me and saying, don't pack that. Well, something about this is wildly mixed up, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. I think like my response this time with his, 
current school has been slightly different in that I'm giving it a little bit of time because I know that like the beginning of the year is really like a lot for teachers. And also that I think that because I'm getting the sense based on the fact that like the pediatrician, the dentist, (laughs) the teachers, you know, like she's really getting a lot of these messages about like what's healthy and not, or what's good, bad, you know, like labeling things that like, I'm just going to have to start talking to him about this a little bit more. Like already we've been practicing, you know, like I'm going to eat, you know, like as much as sounds good to me, like I'm not hungry right now. You can call my parents and, you know, like talk to them about it. You know, like I'm practicing these things with him little by little, because I figure like as much as I really want to change these guidelines, because I think that it would help a lot of kids at the school to not have that restriction. I understand that he's going to inevitably run into these messages in the strangest of places, you know, like when he's sitting in the dentist chair. So I think that I want him to be used to having these conversations with me and Jared so that when he hears these things, he can come to us and be like, oh, so-and-so said this, like, what does that mean? Yeah. The thing I keep coming back to in my head is also something I was thinking about, about my own experience in school as a kid is like what this is really reminding me of. I think you, you hit something really big on the head with the anxiety component. I was such a shy kid. Like I was afraid to go to school literally every day. I don't know why, but I just was born that way. I was like scared. I just was scared. I think that's pretty normal. I actually would maybe go as far as to say most kids are anxious and the way that it comes out is just manifested differently. Some kids will be extroverts with their anxiety and some will not be. But another thing we don't talk enough about is that when you're anxious, the things that you want to eat change. Or maybe you want to eat things that you usually don't like to eat, or maybe you don't want to eat at all. And all of those things are okay, but like the underlying anxiety component gets lost in this conversation. I think this is like such a great example of the complexity and nuance to relationship with food and that it changes. Like it changes depending on a situation. And when you're talking about three and four-year-olds, like you said, who can't necessarily say like, oh, I'm feeling really anxious about starting school after a pandemic. Right. You know, of all things. (laughs) Right. Like, this feels like a big change to me. Like my tummy feels, you know, like they're not, they can't do that. But what they sometimes can do is just only eat one or two things. Right. You know, also for like kids with anxiety around school, sometimes having something that's special about home or a food right. that reminds them of home or that they baked with a parent or something like that can actually help to like remind them of home throughout the day. So like, right. I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Like there is a complexity to relationships with food that is not necessarily a bad thing. It's part right. of being a human, but broad guidelines that restrict really don't give any space for kids yeah. to feel those and move with them. Right. You know, instead it's like, oh no, like you have to do this, this, and this. You can't have that. Oh, that sounds good to you. Like, well, you can't have it. Right. <laughs> no. Okay. You can't have it. Great. <laughs> Wonderful. The other thing I wanted to get your take on, because I don't know, I actually don't know the answer to this. I don't think that you had this either, which is 
this is so antiquated and the way that it used to be phrased is like what I I remember my grandma and and even my my mom my aunt that they had in school home ec and as much as we I feel like to some extent the sort of the last like let's say the 70s in general <laughs> have kind of like flipped this idea on its head I actually think we're really missing the components of home ec for example cooking just basic cooking this doesn't have to be even taught by a, a culinary expert of any kind this could just be how to boil water i mean honestly because the fact that that is so like the thing that would flip this on its head is that if whoever administrator had her rule about the cookies which is complete insanity to also have some sort of connection of what it means to make food and how much you can learn just from and there's science there's art there's so many things baked into just plain working together collaboration exactly like i feel like that just the cooking alone would be enough to get rid of this list and just say allergens only or whatever else it is but i just i'm wondering like did you have cooking did you have home ec of any kind no is, are you, no. is that even an acceptable phrase in 2022, um, oh, Meg? <laughs> I mean, I think we we learned how to make biscuits, uh, Ooh, which I cool. still make and like was so fun. But no, otherwise not, not really. Whoa. But I think like that also, like I'll Google a recipe and see a recipe that's labeled like healthy, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. I was Googling. And I just like keep thinking about this idea of, health on so many levels, you know, mm-hmm. and the fact that like we label things as healthy. And I think you're right, like cooking just, and it doesn't have to be like, you're not making a healthy version of something. Right, like, no. You're just, you're cooking food. You're scrambling um, eggs. Yeah. And like <laughs> counting and dividing right. and Measuring. looking at texture and looking at color. Yeah. And taking turns and all of those things. Yes. Yeah. I definitely think that this is like the inclusive, the expansive idea of food. Yeah. You know, I really think that when you have restriction around foods, you have these lists that restrict foods, like it starts things off from a restrictive yeah. idea. And I mean, I think that you probably agree, like when you're working with clients, like what can you add? Like, what right. can you expand? It's literally the only thing. Right. And it's so much more effective for yes. people, like, being into it, like, willing yeah. to try, like, excited about it, feeling good. Like, restriction rarely, <laughs> rarely is, like, a real motivating thing. Right. Right. And also, I think about this in the context of if we're trying to be as generous as possible, which you clearly are way more generous than I would be. <laughs> toward these people, (laughs) toward these gatekeepers here. But like, I also just think there's no safety hazard. Do you know what I mean? Like, because if I'm being so generous as to say that you want to make a safe environment for kids and I believe you that you're coming from a good place, miss, mister, kind, sir, kind human that is making these rules, there's no safety risk. Like if this is beyond, above and beyond the allergen like concern, which I can understand because you would be conscious of the safety of the students in the classroom. This is not a risk. You have no safety concern. So you putting these arbitrary restrictions can only come with damage. It doesn't come with an upside. Right. There's no safety concern except with the list that is right. labeled healthy and restrictive. Right. Yeah. I think that it's a conversation that I hope starts happening more is like, 
disordered eating and eating disordered mitigation yeah. starting young. Like how can we prevent like limiting? How can we yeah. prevent labeling of like good, bad, healthy, unhealthy? Like how can we do those things? How can we include like taste tests or cooking in class in a way that gets kids to feel like excited, safe around new foods, those types of things. But yeah, totally. I think you're absolutely right. Like don't think that like the risk of restriction is considered by many people in these situations, which makes sense. I mean, my mom was a teacher. Like my mom has done so much work over the years, like with me in expanding her idea of like health and eating and relationship with food. But like, was she qualified to make dietary guidelines for her students? No. And she did it. And she did it, you know, but I mean, (laughs) teachers like have so much on their plate that like, they don't need this on their plate too. Like it's just an additional stress for them too. I feel like, you know, to have to like look through lunches or snacks and make sure that they meet these guidelines. Like that's an additional stress on them that can actually do more harm than good. It's also putting them in the police position, which is just totally unfair. Also, I had another thing on this I wanted to ask you about, which is that this is a scenario I could easily see us, either one of us, both of us, in any situation falling into. And let's play it out. Let's just play it out for a second. Because <laughs> I, I feel like we might as well. We have our testing ground to play it out. So you said the perfect point. And because I often find myself in the position of speaking to you and also knowing exactly what you mean and where you're coming from, <laughs> I want to make sure that we get this wide open into the world. This is something that we know for sure creates disordered relationships with food. Let's say I am Mr. Public Health Expert and I come in and say to you, all right, so not everyone's going to get an eating disorder from this. So why does it matter if things are considered healthy or restricted? Because mostly we have an obesity epidemic in this country, a pandemic in the world. And therefore, I'd much rather err on the side of preventing obesity versus preventing eating disorders, because statistically speaking, there's fewer eating disorders in the world and more obesity. What say you? Because <laughs> you well, know, I would, you have, can a, I would have a lot to say to that, that person. Right? Um, I mean, I think, first of all, I would want to unpack like the term obesity, mm-hmm. the BMI, how mm-hmm. it's not helpful. Also the fact that body size and health are not related. There's no causation there. I think that I would talk about the fact that even if somebody doesn't develop an eating disorder, having a strenuous relationship with food can cause a lot of energy to go to that, that could otherwise be used for learning. You know, like, I mean, oh, novel learning, you know, like Mm -hmm. learning, playing, enjoying joy in school, um, connections, those types of things, connections, (laughs) social connection, social support, being a friend, having friends, like, you know, the list can go on. We could just keep (laughs) going. I mean, I just, (laughs) I think that like the idea that you're asking kids to put energy towards this healthy versus unhealthy and sort of like learning to parse out like, oh, is this a healthy food? Is this an unhealthy food? Is not just pulling them away from listening to what they enjoy, what sounds good, not feeling terrible if they only have access to certain things and still getting enough. 
those types of things and you're asking them to put that energy towards something that like isn't shown in research to have any right. type of positive effect on health like it doesn't make sense when you look at the pros and cons columns to that like you've got i'm just going to toss the term obesity and bmi like yeah. way over yes. there yeah. you know and then the pros and cons like you've got way more pros to not restricting a thousand percent yeah the scary thing is that i made up this this figure in my mind and yet i feel like that person and those people sadly really exist too much and and that's what i would so my second nature to be like let me get all of the research i'm just gonna come over here pull all of the papers do you know what I, like it's just because i i feel like this is where it starts and this is how when we see an article or you see something that's on let's say goop like i'm i'm not we're naming here <laughs> Let's say it's goop, right? And it's something about your 30-day wellness challenge or that's on TikTok or whatever. It's not the first time you've seen that. It's already steeped in what was told to you by the time you're, let's say, 19 and you are in college and you're just scrolling the internet and happen to see that. You know, like that's not changing your mind. That is reinforcing something you already believed that's not rooted in anything credible, like anything actually helpful or credible. Neither of those things. Like it, it's just like mind boggling. Right. And if you're going to school in which there's guidelines that mirror some of the things in the right. 30 day right. restrictive right. detox or yep. whatever it's called, then that can be really confusing. I think for both caregivers and kids, like, oh, yes. I'm on this 30 day detox. Some of the foods that are limited on that are also limited on the school list. That must mean that that's better for my child or healthy. Like, again, I think it comes yeah. from a place of wanting to do what is better, but without a reminder that there's yeah. more to individual health than, yes. you know, restriction. Can we talk about PE for a sec before we wrap this up? Because I could really talk about this and get amped up forever because there's so many other things about this that make me angry, but okay, let's, let me just call myself for a second. Let's talk about PE. What's happening in PE? Is there a PE? Do you know that I had PE on a roof? And I forgot awesome. about that until it was so cool. But I mean, obviously, like, because I was scared of like humans in school, I was pretty much like in the corner, but it was cool. I still thought it was cool, even being up on the roof. Yeah. But also potentially like that actually could have some downside. <laughs> if it's not properly fenced in, that could have some downside. That feels like something we can say, having downside versus like bringing a fucking cookie in your lunchbox. No downside. Fear of heights Playing on probably a roof. did not right. on the rooftop. <laughs> Running around on a roof. That sounds not like something you want a kindergartner to do, but okay. Anyway, what's happening there? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that interestingly enough, and this is personal experience and also like some things that clients who have kids in the yeah. school system have told me is that I mean, if your child is seeing multiple teachers each day, then yeah. that's also multiple opportunities for their own relationship with yes. food and beliefs on what is healthy to also come into yes. lessons, you know, and like you can, there's like a couple accounts on Instagram that I follow that are for teachers, like RDs for teachers, you know, mm. and it's really interesting the places that these come in like math problems that are about like 
counting calories and stuff, you know, like stuff like that. So I think that like, so these accounts have been eye-opening in the places that, you know, these messages can come in. And I think that PE tends to lend itself to being a place where messages about movement and why we do movement can also come in. So in my son's PE class this year, they will be weighing them. So I'll be opting him out of that. Are you kidding? Mm -mm. To be fair, I have not had a one-on-one conversation with his teacher yet. So when I do, I will ask like what that data will be used for. I'm going to opt him out anyway, because at this age, you know, you have a pediatrician visit every year and they, you know, like they keep track of all the data. Um, We have doctors for this is the one thing that happens at a doctor's office, adults, kids, anyone. And if you have a compassionate physician, that's your primary care, whether you're a child or an adult, you don't even have to have access to those numbers. I don't, I'm sorry, respectfully to the school, I don't trust a stranger to do that. I just don't. I'm also (laughs) curious about like why, and also are they gonna do, and again, none of these answers change my opting right. out because they yeah. don't need this information. But like, are they going to do two? Like one at the beginning of the year and right. one at the end? And if so, are they like looking for like adequate growth? And if they're looking for adequate growth, like are they looking at each child's like it like right. specific health history? <laughs> I, you know, like there, I have a I have a lot of questions about this. But again, I think like my conclusion on this is very similar to the food right now and that yeah. like I'm just going to start at home yes. priming Augie you know like we already talk about like he's the size he's supposed to be right now you know right. like right. and so like we're doing that work but I am curious to talk to the PE teacher about like yes. why exactly yeah they feel the need to do that a hundred percent I also think about the difference between PE and recess and that recess is perfect activity. It's like confined to a place and time. It's finite, right? And it's like PE is also finite, but you get much less time. At least I did much less time for recess than you do for PE. And you get to move around and and like build those connections and play games sometimes. You know what I mean? Like there's just so, they're both movement. (laughs) One is this regimented style of movement and one isn't. And I, I just feel like that just says it all right there. And one gets a lot more time than the other. So uh, sadly, like in the course of a day, that's sort of an, an unfortunate fact. But I just remember like the added benefit of recess being an outdoor thing and like being something is that being in New York, it's obviously gets pretty cold. We never skipped it, even when it was really cold outside. We'd still go outside. We would just you'd be told parents <laughs> like, I, I mean, and parents don't, no one needs that reminder. Like if it's really, if it's 15 degrees outside, you're bundling that kid. Like there's just no, right. So like, there's no safety concern. It's just, it's the habit. It's just the habit of continuing to go. And it's not so long that it could be a risk, right? Like that was a beautiful way of saying, no, we go outside almost every day, except for when it's really like a scary snow day, in which case we may actually just stay home, just period. Like yeah. you, the school might be closed, right? But like, that's how a habit forms, getting outside to walk a little bit and be with your friends in a safe space that's like supervised by the teachers who are there and present for recess, and then coming back in and getting back to it. 
I wish I had a built-in recess now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's a beautiful way of taking the concept of what you're going for and applying it in a much more constructive setting that you can carry on with you exactly. for the rest of your life. You know exactly. that like getting outside and getting five or 10 minutes just to right. get outside, not even do anything, just breathe a little bit, take and a moment. being alone. Right. Yeah. But I think the idea of choice is something that I think about with food too. And that like, as an adult, like there are days that I don't feel like eating the same foods I ate the other day. There are days that I don't yeah. feel like eating on the same schedule. There are days that I don't feel like moving, you know? And like, that is... It's normal. Like, that is normal. Yeah. And I think that so often we tell kids that they should feel the same way each hour every day. And I no, think so that, you true. know, like yeah. schedules are so important and knowing what to expect for kids is really important to reduce like the anxiety around the day. But also I think that, you know, like having them have some autonomy and some choice in what they do is also really important. And sometimes we just, as adults, I think that we just expect them to almost behave like robots throughout the day, totally. um, but without thinking about the fact that like we don't. Right. Right. And like some right. days you might go out for recess and want to like play with a friend. Some days you might go out and sit in the corner and read. Because, Which like, was that's you just... and me. Yes. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Cause so I was like, reading that And I day. think that like both are <laughs> Right. Good. You yeah. know, like this is like the issue with like good, bad, healthy, unhealthy. Like it all depends on what right. is like right for you. And so like having that choice. Um, yeah, I totally agree with like having that time to just like go outside and do what feels right is really important in so many ways. Okay. I have to ask you our Hallmark question of this podcast, but it's a bad time to ask you that question because we just said that some days we all feel this way, that we're just not in the mood for the same things. So I'm going to ask you today, just specific for today, if you had a last meal, there's many different avenues we can take with this question. So you can feel free to express yourself creatively with the answer is like a last meal, like a favorite classic, a favorite dish you had one time 17 years ago somewhere, whatever it is, your last meal. Okay. This is going to be sort of random, but it's been on my mind, I think, because the weather is changing. So yes. when I was little, I remember my mom bringing me a cup of hot cocoa that had whipped cream on top, but she put cinnamon on the whipped cream. And like, my mind was blown. I was like, <laughs> this tastes like, this is incredible. This is like cinnamon on whipped cream. Like this is heaven. What? You know, like, it was just like, I remember this taste memory, like so vividly. And it was just like such a fun one because I was like, this is amazing. This is magic. Like this combination is magic. So it would probably be like a cup of hot cocoa. Cause like the weather is changing. It's fall with like a mound of whipped cream with cinnamon. And then probably like with that, I think like another food memory, like a Czech pastry that my grandma used to make that my dad and I made together called the kolach, like a poppy seed kolach with it. Oh so it'd be like God. a little food memory for my mom, a little food memory for my dad and grandma. Oh my God. Wait, what? Wait, spell, maybe don't spell it. If you don't have to spell it, if you don't kolach. know. <laughs> it depends. Um, they were Czech. So it was K-O-L-A-C-H, but it's like this like yeasted dough. And then Colette. it's made into a square and you put like filling in, could be like apricot, but poppy seed was always my favorite, which is like ground poppy seeds and sugar. Um, and then you 
fold up the corners and bake oh my it. God, so, so it bakes fun. into this like really awesome like yeasted dough. It's like a pastry. cross between a Danish and a and a dumpling. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, my mind is blown. That's amazing. Yeah. Wait, also, those are such good answers. Those are such beautiful answers. Willow, you're just my favorite person. Okay, where can people find you? Direct us. Where can people find you? Uh, listeners. Well, I've been <laughs> ranting on Twitter a lot about these food rules. In As school. you should. So you yeah. can find me on Twitter at Willow Jarosh um, and Instagram, same. <sighs> Thank you for being here. If there is anything that you would want to share about this experience, it doesn't have to be advice because you've shared so much already. I feel like just hearing this episode is enough to really understand like where is a place to start and how to approach any of these conversations. But if you had like a one, I'm going to leave this behind of like what I would say to other parents dealing with this, what would that be? I think it would be that if you feel like you're struggling with your own relationship with food, reach out. Yeah. To, you know, somebody who can help with that because it's really hard to, it's hard for me as somebody that works with people on this exact topic to navigate this. So I think that if you feel like you're struggling, reach out to somebody because it's going to make helping those conversations at home that have to happen with kids feel much more fluid and um, helpful for the whole family. That's it. I love it. Thanks so much for tuning in today to this episode of On the Side with Jackie London. If you enjoyed today's episode, please snap a screenshot of your podcast app on your phone, post it to your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jacqueline London RD to let me know your favorite takeaway from any part of the episode. If you're loving the show, if there's a topic you'd love to hear more about or a guest you'd love to listen to here, I'd absolutely love to hear from you. You can scroll down on your podcast app to where it says ratings and reviews and rate this one five stars, of course, and share your feedback. Your words might just be what the next person needs to tune in and start feeling more empowered and living better one meal or snack at a time. Of course, be sure to follow On The Side wherever you get your podcasts to ensure you won't miss out on any episodes. And remember to check us out. Check out the Q&A deep dive on the On The Side YouTube channel. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Keep in mind that any advice provided on this podcast is based off of my clinical judgment and application of research and practice as a registered dietitian, and it should not take the place of medical advice from your own personal physician. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.